0: Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Just Get Started podcast. I'm your host, Brian Andreco and thanks for listening in on another episode. Or if this is your first time stopping by, I'm grateful to have you. This podcast is all about the getting started moments, the turning points that got each guest started on a new path toward happiness, the ups and downs of the journey, how they were able to commit to a change, and all the lessons learned along the way. I hope you all enjoyed this particular episode. So let's jump right in and get it started. <music> On this week's episode, I welcome in Maria Brito, who is an art advisor, curator, and author of the new book, How Creativity Rules the World. I'm going to read a quick background on Maria, and then we'll jump into the episode. She is an award-winning New York-based contemporary art advisor, author, and curator, a Harvard graduate originally from Venezuela. Brito has been selected by Complex Magazine as one of the 20 power players in the art world and she was named by Art News as one of the visionaries who gets to shape the art world. She has written for publications such as Entrepreneur, Huffington Post, L. Forbes, Artnet, Culture Magazine, Departures, and the Gulf Coast Journal of Literature and Fine Arts from the University of Houston, Texas. For several years, Maria has taught her creativity course in companies, and in 2019, she launched Jumpstart, an online program on creativity for entrepreneurs based on years of research and observation in both the areas of business and art. In 2019, she created and hosted The C-Files with Maria Brito, a TV and streaming series for PBS's news station, All Arts. Maria and her projects have been featured extensively in national and international publications, including the New York Times Style Section, the New York Times Magazine, the Wall Street Journal, the Huffington Post, W Magazine, L Magazine, Harper's Bazaar, Time Magazine, New York Magazine, The New York Observer, The Daily Beast, The Economist, Interview Magazine, Vogue, and many more. And I had quite the conversation with Maria, really fun discussion with her and great to see her journey through the years and then obviously um, having this opportunity to write this new book, How Creativity Rules the World, which we get into a lot in the episode as well. So I hope you all enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with Maria. And without further ado, please welcome in Maria Brito. Maria, welcome to the podcast. Glad to have you today.
1: Hello, everybody. And thank you so much for having me, Brian. I'm super excited to be here today and can't wait to jump in.
0: And I'm I'm super excited because you know, creativity, and we're gonna get to your book. I mean, that's such a that's a topic that comes up a lot on here, especially you know, being the Just Get Started podcast. How do folks take those ideas and kind of spawn those into you know, other things that they can do with their life? Um, before we get into all of this, I, I'd like to hear from your perspective, and, and I think the audience would as well, what is your definition of creativity?
1: It is your unique ability to come up with ideas of value that are relevant and original for your business or career, no matter what you do. That's my definition.
0: Let me ask you this. When did this idea, this thought, like when did that come into your head of the importance of this? Did you discover that at an earlier age? Is this something more profound recently? When did this all come about?
1: Yes. You know, I was a corporate attorney before I started my second career, which is this art advisory and consulting company that I have built from scratch for the past 13 years. So I... I graduated from law school and I practiced corporate law in New York City for nine years, and I was very miserable. And you might ask, well, well, why did you go to law school? I grew up in a very conservative South American family in Venezuela. And they, my parents, basically said to me, In this house, you are a doctor, an engineer. For a lawyer something that's decent and dependable right yeah. I mean and that was something that it was a brainwash because I honestly did not want to be any of those things and I ended up choosing law school because I love to read and I love to write so it helped me well I mean it served me definitely but it was not my calling and so when I decided to quit to open a completely different business in a completely different field where I had absolutely no clients and no relationships. I mean, I had some relationships, but not the kind of like what you need to make a business successful. I started thinking about what was that I, first of all, what was that I wanted to do? And second, how could I be, innovative or disruptive in a field that is all buttoned up and snub and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And that's how I started developing not only all the blueprint that people will find in the book, but also I applied it to myself. And then I started actually seeing the pattern with the most successful artists. And then I started seeing a pattern with the most successful entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. And so this became an obsession of mine because I Realized very early on that my ability to bring the ideas to the world, right? Because ideas really are a and People think millions of things every day, but they don't take action and then don't, they don't materialize them. So when I started seriously thinking about how I was building the business, all I had to do really was how do I differentiate myself from the myriad of people who are doing things in the space of you know, the art industry? How do I actually shine with my own abilities and my own story so that people take me seriously, people hire me, I can build a business, And I started reading books about creativity. A lot of them are great, but some of them fell short because it was a combination either of people telling stories without a lot of scientific backup or more interesting cross-references between fields, or it was something as fantastic as Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert, but without really, how do I do this myself, right? So I saw there was a need to bring these concepts more to the mainstream in ways that are both accessible and actionable because I, I want to make sure that once this book is in the hands of people, they actually know what to do with the ideas. It's not just here is the idea and here is creativity and good luck. No, I want to say, well, and so here also, there is a whole host of ideas and exercises and activities and actions that every time you finish a chapter, go and do them and let me know what happens after, right? So this was something that was a need that I thought was. Important to fulfill for readers and for people who are into growth and people who want to be better what they do and it definitely is something that is deeply intertwined with the concept of entrepreneurship. You can be an amazing entrepreneur and have a lot of skills and be a hustler. and But if you're not creative, your business is going to stall at some mm-hmm. point and it's just going to flatline or disappear. And I can guarantee you that no matter what because I have seen tons of those businesses that start amazing and they have excellent ideas. And for a few months, they do great or for a few years. And then when markets start changing, which actually now happens faster, they are not able to pivot because they don't have any more ideas because they haven't had chance to actually understand how creativity works in business and i this is a shame right because imagine the amount of dollars that every year get lost in businesses that do not survive right and Mm -hmm. the amount of employment and that you know that is lost the so the value for the economy is that you want those businesses to succeed Mm -hmm. and as we have gone through this pandemic I'm sure you're aware that in the past two years, there have been more than 10 million filings of new businesses, which is a number that hasn't been seen in the United States since the 1940s, which means people are waking up to the idea that they can be relevant, that they can do things differently. And also, importantly, people are taking risks, which for a long time, people felt very comfortable and did not want to take the risk of being a business owner because it is risky.
0: Yeah. The, the the thing you actually mentioned, I'm I'm actually curious your thoughts, and this is going to get a little bit probably into the book, um, which I want to dive into more. You mentioned about you know folks don't have new ideas, right? They're not able to pivot. How much do you think? I mean, I, I guess I look at it from a different perspective as well. Is they're they're scared to move forward with an idea they have because what's worked before is technically still working. So it's that timidness almost to make a move. I I see this a lot from entrepreneurship to like large corporations. Entrepreneurship, small businesses can actually pivot very quickly versus large companies. You know, there's all this oversight and, you know, legalese and all this stuff that has to happen before maybe a bigger decision is made. So I guess how much do you think of it as on the don't have enough ideas versus the they may have some, but actually are scared to implement them?
1: Well, listen, it's a very... It's an excellent question. And here's the thing, right? You have to think about what companies we're talking about, right? Because a company like Apple depends absolutely on creativity. It's one of the biggest companies in the world, if not the Mm -hmm. biggest, right, in terms of market cap. And if you think about Amazon, although not as innovative from what we see, it is. Because they have an enormous amount of services that they provide to a lot of different people and back-end software and whatever that you know you and i potentially do not know about but we actually use it through all their websites and things like that right and and through all the acquisitions that they have made and you know also gotten into entertainment and all those other fields right so those are two companies that actually are huge have huge amount of employees and they have boards that are you know on top of them and they have shareholders and things like that and they are able to do it so the size of the company is not necessarily an issue it's the culture right and so the culture determines whether or not you're going to be able to succeed and why is it that it's so hard for certain companies right I mean and and why is it that they decide not to pursue certain avenues even when revenues are like in you know going down and things like that it's it's because of a risk aversion obviously which is I think the number one reason why people do not actually take those avenues and um, it it's not about it's not necessarily about implementing because they have implementation right and things usually Every like every every shift and every pivot smart, it starts as a marginal thing on the fringes, right? Because you don't want to necessarily change the entire culture of the company or the entire focus of the company one day, but you start okay. testing ideas here and there, right? And also, look, our brains get very comfortable when they know how to do things well. And that is very dangerous for innovation and creativity because... As we get more and more comfortable in a position or doing something, then we protect ourselves from change. And that's also something that has been, you know, in the brain of humans since dinosaurs, right? I mean, we are so afraid internally of of when things are not exactly how we know how to do them. And as you know, also companies for a long time have put a price on efficiency, even if efficiency means the death of the business, because that's the truth, right? I mean, once you continue adding resources, whether it's money or people to something that has been done a million times, and it's already not bringing the results you want, that is the definition of insanity, right? Like doing the same thing and expecting different results. And so because a part of the business is super efficient, but the revenues are not there anymore and the market share has shrunk and you are not seeing the relevancy because relevancy is so important, right? For businesses, it's like, you don't want to be a has-been. You want to be a company that is still in the mind of your consumer and clients, even amid the fact that we have, the competition is monstrous, right? And in any field. So I, I think that... The, the pursuing efficiency has definitely hurt the creative and innovative and disruptive mind, and it's, it's, it's a good idea for these companies that are big or, or medium-sized to think about Apple and Amazon, even if that's not where you are, is not your field because if they can do it you can do it too. You know what I mean? It's, yeah, it's difficult. I mean, these are companies with tens of thousands of employees and a lot of um, different types of, you know, there's so much that is at stake, you know, that it, it's, they are just not easy. They are not easy to run. They are not. But, but also like, you know, for example, the 20% of Google you know that everybody has to work 20% on a project uh, that they love and it's a passion project type of thing the majority of the greatest innovations that Google has rolled out in the past 10 years come from that 20% yeah. right and so it means that it works it so somebody may be listening and say, well, but I'm not Google. Well, neither am I, you know what I mean? But like, I keep pivoting my business because I want more money. I want to be more relevant. I want to stay in the mind of my clients. And if I don't shift and navigate these changes, then I'm not going to be able to capitalize on that and somebody else will.
0: Yeah. And well, and you make a good point too. I think it's, it's, you don't have to change tomorrow, everything. You don't have to drop what you're doing, but it's it's spending some headspace basically and saying, let me think about another way to do it. Is there a better way? Is there an alternative way? And then maybe go down that path slowly. You know, or try some things, test it, taste it a little bit. You know, um, I, I think it's a good point. I got to ask something because and, and, my curiosity is just peeking over here. I want to make sure. I want to keep going on the book route, but I want to take a, <laughs> a slight. I want to put a pin in that for one minute because you mentioned about risk aversion and and those type of things. Growing up in the family you did mm-hmm. of you're going to be something of this, this, or this, and then having that many years in law, what made you ultimately change from corporate law to actually doing your own thing? Because there's a lot of risk there. There's a lot of identity crisis there. There's a lot of things from childhood probably that were... How, how did you go about the making the change?
1: You know, when you have the pain of... Going to a place you hate and doing something you hate every day of your life, there is a point where you are going to evo- If you are honest with yourself, right, you're going to evaluate your life. And, and there are also breakthroughs and catalyst moments that you have to put things in perspective. For me, I had been thinking about how do I get out of here? God helped me for a long time. Okay. And then I got pregnant. And I had my child, my first child. And when I had my first child and I was looking at this baby, I said to myself two things. The first one is, what am I going to teach him? That I hate my job, that I sold out on my dreams, that I actually ended up doing something that it was not fulfilling. And I'm going to be a bitter mom because in life, everything Overlaps with everything, right? I mean, if you have great relationships, that shows also at work. If you have you hate your work, it shows in your relationships, and vice versa, right? I mean, it's all a continuum. We are not like, oh, let me flip the switch and now I'm no, it's it's all very It's all very intertwined. And I saw the baby and I said, well, first of all, I've never seen this baby again, because once I'm back in the law firm and I have to work 17 hours a day, you know, this child and I will not really even see each other much. And second was that idea of like, how do I teach my child the value of pursuing your dreams, the value of taking chances on yourself, right? I mean, this, this chance is the chance that I, I didn't take a chance on a stock. I didn't invest in a company. This was for me. So Mm -hmm. I invested in my own dream and in my own business. And it was, it was just down to that. It was like, I am so miserable and I dread so much taking the subway to go to that law firm and seeing those people. And there's nothing wrong with them. They are great people, but not for me, not for my, Not for for my soul, right? And literally when I left that law firm, when I, I, I literally walked out, it's like a dark cloud lifted and I became the person I always was meant to be seriously everything shifted my mindset and the attraction of things it's like i opened a faucet i mean i started making money from the get go celebrities were calling me when i was like a year and a half into the business because i was so different i started calling the attention of the press i started calling attention of these incredible high profile clients mm-hmm. without me having to do much other than work right i mean I, I it's not that i was like with arms crossed waiting for people to call me i was diligently working i was diligently Using social media when nobody was using social media in my field, uh, we're talking about 13 years ago, right? Yeah. I was blogging when pe- people in the um, in the arts, in at least in galleries, and and you know other people who do what I do did not take uh, social media early they took a lot of time because they thought in their minds everything was so precious and whatnot right it took them a long time to be an adopter and I was there from the get-go so I capitalized on that Mm. and I started building an audience and clients when everybody else was like "Ooh, should we actually post something on Facebook you know
0: (laughs) did you uh was it a glamorous, you walked into the office and said, I quit, I'm done? Or was there an overlap of time that it took you to leave? If you can share any of that?
1: Well, of course, as you know, as I'm telling you, I was already considering it that I got pregnant. I said, OK, I'm not going to leave pregnant because where am I going to go pregnant? Right. Nobody. Right. I mean, it's, it's just very difficult. So throughout the pregnancy, I took notes and what can I do? You know, uh, I, I observed a lot of other people who were doing what I was doing. And I saw how many blind spots they had developed, particularly in the area of how do how do we democratize this art world and make it accessible for people? And go and write in simple terms and explain people what they get and things like that. So when I went back to the my my law firm after the maternity leave, which was you know 12 weeks or whatever, that was uh, the month of September of 2008, and that was literally. The same time I went back, it was the collapse of, uh, you know, the economy, mm-hmm. the Lehman brothers, Bear Stearns going to hell, a Bernie made of scandal, the whole thing. And my job, which my, at the time I was working at the law firm that represented all the banks in, oh, and okay. big, really big, big deals of, uh, bonds and, and a horror leveraged by us. It was a horror business. And, uh, not not because there was anything wrong with what we did, but it was a horror of the whole thing. It was, you know, 24-7, whatever. And I said, oh, you know, what am I really doing here, right? I mean, I do care about the economy. I do care about people who lost their money, but I can't help them directly. And my job here is to kind of like undo a lot of these bonds and acquisitions and whatnot that were happening. There's no meaning, and no purpose whatsoever in what I'm doing. So this went on. So that was September. By January was the bonus time because, I mean, yes, I had been pregnant and I had left for three months, but they still owed my bonus of all the other months I did work. I went in January, I collected my bonus, and I say, thank you. I'm leaving, right? And yeah. look, it's big law firms. I was one of hundreds, right? And so, Um, you know, yeah, well, sorry, you know, we love you. Good luck. Bye. You know, I mean, again, it's like, it's a law firm with 500 attorneys. You're just one more. Right. And, and I, you know, and I'm telling you, it's like, literally, when I stepped out, I looked up and I was like, this is the best day of my life. I've my my whole dark energy, I call the time that I spend in the law firms, the dark ages of my life. And seriously, when I look back, even as everything that I have accomplished and in such a space that I am right now of happiness and fulfillment, I look back and I cringe with stress and thinking that I could ever be <laughs> there or something horrible could happen that sends me back I don't think that will happen but it is uh it's corporate America is not for everybody and this was not for me
0: you know though I do I and I, I appreciate you sharing that I like though the the if you didn't go through that experience almost would you have you know you talk about the faucet I love that kind of thought of just kind of an opening up, right? But like, it's kind of one of those things, like if you didn't have that horrid experience, you may have never got to the point of the faucet opening up, right? So in a way, it's almost a blessing that you actually went through that at the time you did, because some folks maybe are just kind of like, I think that's where I, I see this. A lot of folks I talk with are lukewarm on their job, and they're like, well, it's okay. I mean, you know, maybe I'll do something, you know, and then there's never, sometimes like in your situation, it's like, I got to get the hell out of here. <laughs> and I get, You know, I got to do something else. So that almost presses you further, you know?
1: And that's why I had several jobs in different law firms because I always yeah. thought the next law firm was going to be better. Yeah. And it was not. And it's yeah. not that it was worse. I mean, it, it's <sighs> just that it was the continuum, right? Yeah. And listen, again, I have enormous respect for the lawyers and they are needed. It's not, it's not one of those things that you can just like go and open three books and say, well, I'm a lawyer now, right? I know it, it does require, uh, you know, three years of law school. It requires passing a bar and enormous hours working. And you want to trust that the lawyers who are, you know, working for you are doing the right thing. So mm-hmm. I do have respect for them. But yes, you're right. If I wouldn't have had that experience, my life would be very different. But then again, you know, I can't I don't know it's it's impossible to tell right because that was the timeline that I was assigned to so the right. the timeline took me to where I am I'm not sure if for example my children are going to go and work in one of those things even just to learn mm-hmm. some sort of a structure I think the structure and discipline of those places are important Mm -hmm. If you are not a person with those skills, right? I mean, because you have deadlines, you have to turn in things looking a certain way. You have to communicate in a specific way. uh, You have to put in the time and hours. And I don't see anything wrong with that. In fact... For many years, that was kind of like the principle of the United States. It's like people were disciplined working. I don't think that's the case anymore, but it was back, back, you know, like 20, 30, 40 years ago. That's how you build those businesses is because people actually were very compliant to whatever was needed to be done as explained by your superiors or managers or partners or whatever. And... That experience is going to be with me for the rest of my life, right? The amount, because I actually became very efficiency. But now, thank God, I'm not only efficient, but I have time to think and I have time to invent and I have time to observe the world from a variety of different vantage points because there's nothing that kills creativity faster than living in an eco-chamber, right? Like if I am in a room and all I hear is the opinion of people who think just like me and I read the news that the algorithm feeds me that think exactly like I think, I'm wasting my life. You know, I mean, you've got to see things from a variety of different standpoints. If you are an entrepreneur, think a little bit like an artist, although artists and entrepreneurs are very similar. If you're a doctor, think a little bit like a banker. If you're a banker, think a little bit like a doctor. I think those things are very, very important. And people just continue the hyper-specialization path, which is excellent, until it's no longer excellent, if you know what I mean. There is a law of diminishing return at some point where, yes, it, listen, if you're a doctor and you're a surgeon and you're operating cancer, you have to be a hyper-specialist. But also a lot of doctors and this Nobel Prize, I, I read an incredible interview with this Nobel Prize. Uh, they won in physiology, and I don't remember the year, maybe it was 2010, but he, they said to him, how do you find whatever you found, stem cells, who knows? Listen, those things, I'm not an expert on that, and I... Mm-hmm. I agree, and I accept that I'm not. But they said, well, how do you get to these discoveries? And the the guy said, I read newspapers that do not interest me. I read articles about ballet. I am looking for patterns and things that have nothing to do with the stem cells or whatever, because it... That is how you become innovative and creative is by looking outside of your industry mm-hmm. and being very well read in a variety of fields, right? Because if it's just you and what you like, how is that going to add that interesting thing that you have missed before or that curiosity? That, that How is that going to spark an interest in, in a, a new piece of research or something? And that's what I'm after. Right. That's that's what I am consistently trying to apply in my own life.
0: Yeah. No, I agree. You and I are very similar in that regard. It's like trying to just bring in as much information from different areas and and then think on it. And, hey, does it apply? Does it not? And oh, that's interesting. You know, that's and that's where I you know, to, just to underscore, which I think is valuable. You know, you mentioned going back to your job is, hey, you were there for a few months and oh, I, I got my bonus. Then I left, which. There's no issues. I have no issues with that. I don't think anyone should. It's like you were just playing the game of that's business as it was. Right. Yeah. And you had to do what you were doing. I think this comes up a lot in the podcast, but something again to really to underscore is that it doesn't mean the creativity or trying to innovate or trying to learn. doesn't mean you have to leave your job right away. It doesn't mean you have to leave it for years, but what are you doing in those off hours to your point? Like, are you reading? Are you observing? Are you thinking about something you have and trying to tinker and build And then ultimately get to that point where you do something different, right? It doesn't have to be a rip the Band-Aid off. I think sometimes that's that's the idea that gets thrown out there, but that's not really how many people do it, right?
1: Absolutely not. I think that you have to make gradual shifts and take calculated risks that are, you know, that you can embrace without necessarily having a heart attack, right? That's not the point either. It's like, you know, how do you do this gradually? And one thing I hear a lot is like, oh man, I'm already too old for this, right? Well, you're never as young as you are today. Because, you know, like if you wait until tomorrow, you're a little older. If you're away a week later, you're a little older. And and sometimes, you know, a day, a week, a month turns into 10 years, 20 years, right? And so there is no right or wrong time to do what you love, whether it is your own business or having some sort of consulting on the side. That's a lot of people do that. They have a job and they... Um, open some sort of consulting business on the side that is either connected to what they do and where the areas of expertise are, or it's something else that they are learning and they feel excited and they're good at it. And that's the thing, you have to be good at things, right? It just cannot be, let me just leave a job to do something else I hate. No, right. it's not that, right? It's like, what is it that makes you happy where do you get your light what lights you up what are the things that you can explore right i mean i find that nowadays the barriers of entry to start any business and whether it is a side gig or a, you know a full fledged 100% you know ownership full-time business, it's so low. I mean, like you file the paperwork, you build a website, you know, you start doing things. Yeah, I mean, it's not easy. I never said it was easy. I said the barriers of entry are really low, right? And the amount of tools that we have nowadays for marketing. Also, in the days before social media, if you wanted to have an ad, you would have to buy an ad on TV or a billboard or a a page on a magazine. So right now, if you're great at Facebook ads, it's 60 percent of a dollar for a click, right? I mean, think about when, when in history, we would have had things so easily presented at our fingertips, right? And and we still are like, no, I can't do this because, uh, you know, and I, I see things yeah. with a lot more of like, I have an attitude of expansion and of willingness to embrace new things. Even if it's uncomfortable, a lot of things are very uncomfortable. I feel very uncomfortable when I have to start cutting reels on fa- on, on on Instagram, yeah. uh, you know, it's, it's because it takes time and learning a learning curve and things like that, that I wasn't ready to do. But like, look, I mean... I sat down with my kids and then my assistant taught me other trips and tick other other tips and tricks. And I did it. Right. And so, uh, you know, once you push yourself out of your comfort zone, magical things happen. And that's when I quit my job. And I'm not advocating for people to quit their jobs if they don't want to do that. Yeah. But I think that taking a risk, however small it's very important, not only for growth, personal growth also, but it's an investment in your future, right? And, and thinking, how can I do this thing better? How can I actually trust myself that I can take this risk? And look, I think the win is not necessarily getting everything that you expected out of taking that chance immediately. I think the win is in taking the risk, right? right? In emailing that person or or picking up the phone and calling someone. And if you are rejected, well, so be it, next, right?
0: Well, I think, you know, you bring up, a, again, another good point though around, and I would even go further. I would argue, forget the LLC or forget the whatever. I mean, it's, you know, I kind of think of it back like, you know, when I was a kid is I'd go, Hey, go knock on the door to mow a lawn and get 20 bucks or something, you know, like now that's, a again, that's a, maybe an extreme model because someone that's 35 may not want to mow lawns, but like that See. idea of like, just go do, you know, it's interesting. I was, I was just thinking about, I know before we, we started recording, James clear name came, name came up and the idea of motion versus action right? We could say, oh, I'm going to start that LLC. I'm going to do this. And you keep kind of putting all these like things, like I got to do this, I can do this versus just go do it and then figure out. And that that was something even with my, you know, so this podcast is over four years old now. And I tell this story a few different times. Like there was two years from 2015 to 2017, where I kind of sat with the idea. I want to do a podcast. (laughs) And I was like, well, what do I do? Or I'm not sure exactly. And then the, the overcoming the fear, the anxiety, all of that, you know, kind of jazz that was still there, all these childhood issues and stuff that I had to get over. But my whole thing was, once I finally got to the point, and that's why it's called Just Get Started was, let's just put one episode out. Let's just put one out. And then let's worry about the second one. And that's sure, slowly but surely, and now we're well over 200. I've had great guests like yourself on it's like, the, the amount of things that happened. I didn't know anything that would happen but the amount of things that have happened just because I put the first one out was valuable enough. Um, so it doesn't have to be great. It doesn't have to be the, the, you know, the biggest world changing thing It's just move one ball, you know, the ball down the field, maybe one inch, if you will. I don't know. Well,
1: That, that is momentum. And yeah. that's exactly what you described. And the thing is that there is no momentum without action. Right. And also there is persistence, right. And determination. And it reminds me so much of that video that Warren Buffett and Jay-Z were being interviewed by the president of Forbes, the owner of Forbes magazine. And they were like, well, you are a genius, you know, Sean Carter, Jay-Z, whatever, because, you know, you got to produce your own records and whatever. And he said, you know, the genius thing that we did is that we never gave up. And that's why Jay-Z is Jay-Z. And yeah. that's why Beyonce is Beyonce, you know? And that's why, you know, Steve Jobs was Steve Jobs. Because the, those people have faced as much rejection as you mm-hmm. and I. And that's the truth. Nobody wants to believe that, right? Because they, they think that it's so easy for them now that they are billionaires and famous and they can do whatever, you know, those people face rejection up until now. I mean, yeah. like, no, nothing goes 100% always the way that you have envisioned. And yeah. part of being creative is knowing also how to embrace the failures, right? And yeah. utilize them as a springboard. So many failures have been utilized to create better things. And This is not like, I, it sounds cliche and I hate to say cliche myself, but I think that we have to remind ourselves that the, the 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 difficulties and and the and the holes on the way right are also part of the story mm-hmm. and they are part of the learning curve and also they teach us ways to improve the business to improve the career to not do it again right and so it's uh, it's very very important every time that you have a failure to say yes i had a failure and welcome it right and, yeah. and say well what what good thing is going to come out of there
0: yeah for sure what a, if I if I kind of sew the storyline together so you you kind of transition obviously from law to, to running the business, and now you're launching this book. Is there maybe an inflection point or two you'd share a story? You'd share how did you get to the point of saying I'm going to write a book? Because most of you just run your business and be fine. But what you, you said there was a need. Did you un- how did you un- uncover that? I guess to say I'm going to go down this route.
1: Look, when I started getting clients in in my business, and they were like CEOs of companies, they started asking me, "How do you do this, right? Because it's really impressive for people to understand how someone went from being a completely unknown attorney to an industry leader in my in, in the art world, right? And how do you have how do you have the celebrity clients, and how do you manage to get like you know 500 press pieces from the New York Times to Vogue? I mean, how do you do that?" And I put together a program for these people because they wanted me to go to their companies and talk to their employees and and explain to them a variety of different concepts. One of the, part of the program for these people is like how I learned from artists to be creative, right? And because, Basically, I've worked with 450 different artists around the world. Some of them are incredibly successful and wealthy. And some of them are super wealthy and a little bit more unknown. But, you know, like the myth of the starving artist, that's a myth, right? But the point is that this all started as a program that I was delivering to people in companies because they were the clients who were buying art with me. And then they wanted me to go and talk to their employees. And that was fantastic. And then I thought, why... I so is there a way so that I can bring this to people so that people who do not have 10,000 bucks to bring me in for like half a day, right? Like what can I do? So I did an online version and I, I launched it like, you know, the big launches and whatnot that you do every six months. And it was fantastic, but it was exhausting because my business is not launching courses. My business is selling art to people. So I said, okay, how do I bring this? First of all, I evergreened greened the, the creativity course because people were having enormous breakthroughs, like incredible. People were actually shifting careers, increasing their lines in their businesses. You know, I mean, I'm always humbled by the results of my, my students. And so... Once I evergreened the course, and people just can go and just buy it and become a part of the community and show and show up in the Zoom calls once a month and, and you know consume the materials and whatever, I said, well, how do I actually bring this? Since I saw the incredible breakthroughs that those people have and how they have redefined their identity after they take the course, how do I bring this to more people, right? Because then we're, not, we're moving from the people who pay $300 to the people that pay $26, $25, $24 for a hardcover book or whatever it is, and $15 for an, an, an ebook, right? And that's how it occurred to me that this needed to go to more people and that's kind of the mission of authors is or the nonfiction authors right is is how do i make what i know that works for a certain group of people more and more accessible so that more people can benefit from this and that's that's the That's the impetus behind it is that this book is not for me, it's for you, right? It's it's for the people who are listening, it's for the people who want to get better, it's for the people who want to have a different perspective, it's for the people who actually want to have a blueprint. And that's that's kind of uh, what I was telling you is that there was a need because I saw that the books on creativity lacked that implementation phase. It was all very abstract and beautiful. And the examples were fantastic. But how do I do this? And like, how do I put this in motion? How do I come up with more ideas? How do, and and one thing is, remember that we are so used to these things like uh, get rich in 30 days, right? Lose 50 pounds in two days. Like, Mm -hmm. no, these things take time. And I, you know, for our wonderful listeners, it, you know, creativity takes time. And it takes work. It happens, absolutely. That I can almost always guarantee. But it takes time and it takes commitment and it takes work. And and the work is mostly to think and and to actually pay attention and to be present and to allow yourself also to take breaks and to have the ideas marinate. If we are consistently plugged in, it's difficult to actually generate excellent ideas at all times. So we must allow ourselves those moments, or days, if you will, where you let your brain rest and think about all the things, right?
0: Oh, 100%. Oh, my gosh, 100%. Underscore that 10 times. Yeah. I actually put a a morning routine in place six months ago, because I was in that position of like, yeah, I I try to get away here and there go for walks, but it wasn't as consistent as I wanted. So I literally sit for at least 30 minutes every morning, have my cup of coffee, zero distractions and just sit and think and you know it's so funny and you, and you might agree with this is randomly i get you know because i write a blog three times a week and stuff like randomly a blog idea pops out of nowhere and i type it up in like five minutes you know it's like it's like wow what happens when you take away all those distractions and just let your mind run you know is there anything you do specifically do you just sit still do you meditate Do you any anything specific you do
1: all of the above i <laughs> i meditate and um I try to really schedule this. When I do it, my day runs so much better. When I don't, I mean, the day still runs with with a few bumps. Um, I try to also, if it's not meditation, I just try to stay in silence for a long time or a, or a short period of time, it doesn't really matter, right? Like, what it matters is that it's like both emptying of the mind and at the same time, I always call it showers for the brain, right? Like, I mean, as much as you, you, you can shower your your body, but if you don't shower your brain, it's going to be really hard for the brain to work at optimal levels because it's just way too much. It's way too much information. We have gotten to the point where we cannot absorb this level of stimuli. It doesn't matter if you're Gen Z or Millennial or, you know, whatever. It's just that there is, we are constantly, consistently drowned mm-hmm. with social media and ads and noise and TV and people talking and, you know, and so if any good thing may have come out of this pandemic is that we had more time to think, right? And and that's that's an important thing. I'm not saying the pandemic is a good thing. I'm saying the time that people can spend And silence and introspection is very important. So I do spend a lot of time in silence and i you know i'm known to be like turning off tvs in my house like you know if my husband has a tv on i turn it off like you know suddenly yeah. they i pass by and i turn it off and things like that because i think that it's almost like there are my kids and my house but i feel that they are addicted to this kind of like having background sounds and mm-hmm. children playing video games all the time and super wired and when it's not the video game it's the TikTok, you know so oh goodness like you know it's important to not be wired and plugged all the time and so I'm a very serious person about that and it's uh it's something that you know from Bill Gates to Steve Jobs and if you talk you know with all the big leaders in the world they take a lot of time in silence for themselves because they need it it's actually you know they those people are not there randomly that's the thing like there's no such thing as luck i mean maybe but but it that's not how those people have gotten to those places there's a lot of routines and discipline about how they handle their life and affairs that list whatever they did that is wrong we don't want to emulate for sure but the things that they do and and did that is you know a little bit of a clue on on how they their behaviors right behaviors can be modeled by Almost every human being, right, and and that's an important thing that also builds habits, and good habits we always want to try to emulate, not the bad things again, but the good things.
0: Yeah, what was the uh, what was the hardest part of writing this book, if you have to think about the journey from start to finish?
1: I think the hardest part is making sure that you're giving it all away right like there is this concept um I think it's Gay Hendrix. he says I think so it's it's die empty and I'm not sure if it's him or Todd Henry I'm confused right now but it's like this idea I think it's Todd Henry it's about like putting it all out there right and not kind of like keeping things because Either you don't want to reveal them or you don't want to write about them or you just want to keep them for the next book. And I remember Mm -hmm. when I was like negotiating uh, or my agent was negotiating with the publishing house and they said, well, you know, we just don't want to go with like a book that is more than X amount of pages because that scares people and you know mm-hmm. I said no 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 we are going with everything that I, I mean I'm open to edits but I don't want to dilute my work mm-hmm. and because the hardest part throughout the process was how do I give all the value that I can right and mm-hmm. in fact as I look back I'm like I miss one you know but no but no I'm I'm going to be a little bit more lenient with myself because this was very very carefully planned and thought um, about but I, I think that I had a consistent you know kind of avatar of like I want to serve my avatar or my avatars readers in, in a way that man, that they are happy, you know, this is not a vanity project, it's not for me, I'm, I'm fine, you know what yeah. I mean, like you said, I have a business, it's, it's really healthy, I live really well, I'm in Manhattan, I have kids, I'm healthy, I'm cool, I hang out with, you know, amazing people, it's not for me, yeah. it's, I, I want to, I want to be a vessel for people to find that spark, that, you know, that a fantastic new idea, that incredible new thing that they haven't thought about and to think about those things from a lot of different angles and not just, oh, I just code. So because I just code, then, you know, I only read like the books on Python, right? Like right. that's not the way to succeed as an entrepreneur, yeah. And as or as uh, even if you're not in the business of entrepreneurship, it's hard to survive in the long term. If you don't have amazing ideas to present to your people, your business, your yeah. boss, your constituents, I don't know. Yeah.
0: All right. Let me ask you this. And I'm looking at the time, We the, the conversation. We probably talked for a few more hours if you had it. Um, but let me ask you this question. And I'm I'm curious. So you got to look at all the pieces of advice and insight and quotes you can give. And, you know, sometimes it's hard to pick one. I'll let you pick two if you want. But if someone's getting started, again, if they're thinking differently about, hey, how do I be creative? How do I bring an idea to market? Whatever it might be. Is there anything you've learned in the journey that would be valuable for them to think about or explore? Again, maybe it's uh, something you live by a quote could just be a, a sound piece of advice you've come up with anything you'd share at all.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of people actually take themselves outside of their greatest ideas, or they take themselves out of their greatest idea because of the fear of being judged. And I think that someone told me one day, you're going to be judged whether you actually say or present a crazy idea, or if you do not. And uh, that was one thing that you know resonated with me tremendously because say well if you're going to be judged no matter what right because we live in a society where people you know like to tear people down and I don't know why that is I'm not like that obviously but yeah. I I understand that's how people is their favorite pastime, especially in social media and things like yeah. that right um, and the second thing that same person actually told me is the majority of people live in their heads they don't really care about you They care about themselves, right? They may think about you, they may dodge you, but temporarily, then they go back to their own thoughts and ideas. Mm -hmm. And so what that means is whatever you're pondering, whatever you're considering, whatever idea, even if it's outlandish at this stage, you... you should definitely evaluate those ideas with a level of seriousness. Not everything that you think about is going to become a product or a service or an improvement. Mm -hmm. You will have a ton of different things to assess and to choose from. And, you know, you potentially have an opportunity to consult with others or get advice from others. But the point is, nobody sees this like you do. Nobody has had all the experiences that you've had in the upbringing and the combination of factors and places and schools and whatnot that you have had, right? And so that means that whatever you have inside of you is interesting. It is very interesting. And those ideas get buried and they die inside of people because people are afraid of being judged. They are afraid of what people are going to think about them. And the truth is, People are not going to think about you that much, and people are going to judge you whether you bring that idea to the forefront or you just like discard it and it just stays in you know how many times I've heard of like people say oh my god I had a whole file of notes for this book I was going to write and then two years later this other person she had my exact same idea and she published this book and it became a number one year test. and I said but what did you do with the ideas that were filed nothing I just left them there whatever somebody said uh, oh my god I had this incredible idea to patent I don't know what but I you know I got so busy and then two years later three years later look there was this whole other you know movement in this direction and I have heard that so many times and I don't want to hear it anymore I want to hear people say I took chances and you know what sometimes it pan out beautifully and sometimes it failed right I mean and so that's part of that's part of it comes with the territory of being creative
0: yeah, that's again great thoughts on that. Cause I and I think two if I if I were to add just two quick things on it. One is you have to get the idea out there to allow it to kind of marinate a little bit because as you talk about it more and, and maybe you do get insight from people that you trust or whatever, if they're like, Oh, I don't like that or I like that, or oh, that's interesting. Have you thought about this? It gets you thinking about it, right, wrong, and different. Um, so I think that's important. The second thing I would say, and it's a, it's funny, like I'm as you were talking, I was kind of observing like even my office and you know take like shout out to grandfather mountain if anyone's been there um, in north carolina awesome spot uh but anyways like no one you know the, the mug hasn't been innovative in, you know in a lot of years but someone sells this type of mug someone sells this logo on the mug so it's whatever you know my podcast i have this arm here on my microphone someone decided one day like wait a minute there's got to be a better way to hold a microphone you know like the idea you have is not crazy because everything that's been created around us was probably not around 50 years ago, most likely. Right. Yep. So I think that's another, you know, to, to kind of double click on your point. It's like, just get it out there and just try to move the ball down the field. See if it comes to something, but take a chance because, you know, other people have, um, and it's obviously worked out. And if it doesn't great, shelve it and go to something else, you know, <laughs> just how it works. So, um, I Marie, mean, this has been great. I'm going to let you go. Um, where can everyone, Find the book. What's the best spot to connect with you online?
1: Yes, well, so the book is called How Creativity Rules the World, and it's uh, on Amazon, Barnes Noble, Bookshop, IndieBound, Target, Walmart, and obviously the independent bookstores that are so important for this country and that I want you guys to support. I repeat, How Creativity Rules the World, and my website is mariabrito.com. That's B R I T S and Tum O, and there you You can email me and you can click on all my social media handles. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. And I'm looking forward to hearing from you. And, uh, you know, buy the book. It's amazing. I feel that it's been such a milestone and important project in my life. And I can't wait for people to have this book in their hands. And of course, you will get a
0: copy, too. Rick, congrats on the book. I know it's such a big step. And uh and thanks for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you. Hey everyone, just one more quick thing before you skip along in your day. You know, if you do enjoy this content or other things that I've put out, or just enjoy learning more and trying to adapt your thinking uh, to become happier each and every day, there's a couple of things that you may benefit from. Um, If you go to my website, brianandreco.com forward slash subscribe, you can sign up for my newsletter that goes out once a week, and that's really a digest of a lot of information that I gather throughout the weeks, whether it's a new video that I think could be informative or a podcast that's... Been valuable to me, book that I might read, etc. Um, secondly, I blog three times a week, and these are more micro blogs, one to five minute reads, short digestible blogs that'll send right to your inbox on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday morning. So check that out on my website, Brianandraco.com forward slash subscribe if you think it's something you might enjoy. I hope you all have a great day, a phenomenal week, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care.